This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Goliath by Tochi Onyebuchi. In his adult novel debut, Hugo Nebula and Locus Award winner Tochi Onyebuchi, author of Riot Baby, delivers a sweeping epic, Goliath, read by a full cast. In the 2050s, those with the means have departed the United States for space colonies. Those left behind salvage what they can. However, brick by brick, their houses are sent to the colonies, where what were once homes are now quaint reminders for the colonists of the world they wrecked. Goliath weaves together disparate narratives into a richly urgent mosaic about race, class, gentrification, and who is allowed to be the hero of any history. Again, that's the audiobook edition of Goliath by Tochi Onyebuchi. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 122. We're recording on February 4th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, by listener request, we are talking about sci-fi fantasy magazines. Yeah, I was really happy. I think both of us had to pause for a moment because we thought that we had already talked about (laughs) magazines, but it turns out, no, we had not. So this is like a great opportunity and why we appreciate recommendations from our listeners. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I was like sure that we had. And then what I realized we have done is... We've read a bunch of short fiction from SFF magazines, but we never talked about the magazines specifically except for when they come up in awards lists. So here we are. We're doing the thing. I'm really excited about it. Me too. I got to learn a lot about some of the magazines I have always just loved, but never really. Like, how often do you go to the about? I don't always do that, so it was, no. really, <laughs> it was very informative. I appreciated the education. Nice, nice. But before we talk about our SFF Magazine picks and our news, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is Mira Books. Fifteen years ago, on a family camping trip, Evie and Cass's father and brother vanished. Their dad turned up days later dehydrated and confused, and convinced he'd been abducted by aliens. But Jacob remained missing. Now Jacob is back and talking about an intergalactic war. The entire family will have to come together to help Jacob because the FBI is after him. And if their brother is telling the truth, possibly an entire space armada too. So this is Light Years From Home by Mike Chen from Mira Books, and it's described as a touching drama about a challenge as difficult as saving the galaxy, which is making peace with your family and yourself. And that's real. Uh, This book is on sale everywhere books are sold. And you can also attend, oh wait, the virtual launch is over, sorry. But you can still pick up the book. So again, that's Light Years From Home by Mike Chen. And that's from Mira Books. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. All right. All right. <laughs> How do you News. want to kick us off? Uh, 
I have like a little mini rant about the Rings of Power promo. So I'm let's here start for it. There. <laughs> I don't know if you watched this teaser that they dropped recently. I watched what looked like a. I mean, I know teasers are called teasers for reasons, but uh, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I would like to hear I, what you is... have to say extremely underwhelming so amazon studios recently released a a like i don't know it's a it's a short instagram video that is basically once again somebody saying the rings poem thing yeah over like a bunch of graphics of metal being poured it's i'm like is this the billionth time that this has been done like they couldn't have done something new and interesting like i get that it's iconic but it's so oh i'm so bored of it yeah. <laughs> i so get that it. i feel that 100 <laughs> percent. and and then this morning as i was poking around i was like okay so clearly you know the thing that they're signaling here is that this this prequel to the lord of the rings TV show is going to be about the forging of the rings. Like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. I can think of other ways that they could have done that. Uh, And then I went poking around to see if we know anything else, really. And the answer is not exactly. They just released a bunch of promotional images. And uh, Eric Kane over at Forbes has rounded them up and, you know, summarized what we know, which is basically what I just said. It's, you know, it takes place thousands of years before the events of The Hobbit. It's about the forging of the rings and how it all went wrong. We don't see anybody's faces. It's just a bunch of promo images of people with their hands clasped around various objects. Um, which, like, oh, that's at least more interesting to me than this, like, CGI pouring True. of metal, what, you know, for four minutes or however long it takes to say the poem. Like, I'm just... Oh, sorry. I'm so over it. Um, but, you know... I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little bit... I have some feelings about the way they did these hands as well. Like, I know that they have cast this more internationally, but they, like, chose to make a bunch of people's hands dirty. And it's very hard to tell skin tone in those circumstances, which, like, I don't know, is neither here nor... It's a choice. They made a choice about uh, that. And so there's at least a couple visibly darker skin tones in there, but it's also really hard to tell. Um, And that's just like a minor complaint I have about that. I just have a lot of complaints, I guess, is what I have. Uh, That is understandable because I remember (laughs) going to like the teaser and being really excited because, you know, there are lots of opportunities for, you know, visually stunning imagery for any Lord Mm -hmm. of the Rings type thing and for them to take it in all sorts of creative directions. And I remember, like, literally wondering if I was missing something. Like, did I click the wrong link? Was there something more that I was supposed to be seeing? And then when I just looked at this story you you put in the show notes with the promotional images, I was like, am I missing something again? (laughs) Like, it basically (laughs) is just like, I love this tweet from the author Eric Kane, where it's just like some clasp hands some ringed fingers and that's it (laughs) and then sort of like jokey tweets about uh what you're seeing in these images and i just like looked at this and was like oh it's very like 
There's something like very Game of Thronesian about mm. it. It's just, like the font, and I know a lot of like fantasy movies and fantasy properties use kind of similar fonts, especially when they're yeah. kind of from a certain era or they're inspired by a certain era. But I was just like, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm like, there's nothing new or interesting here that I'm looking at, and I feel like it's kind of a a failure of imagination to. Yes. To ramp up excitement for this because I feel like a lot of people are excited about this and you have to do very little. And it just right. like they did the most minimal amount right. of did. work. Like, <laughs> That's right. They did the actual least they could yeah. possibly have done. Like, why? It's so uninspired. It's really bummer. I, it makes me a little nervous, honestly, for the show. Which comes out, side note, September 2nd yeah. of this year. So we now have, like, an air date. You can start your countdown clock. I don't know. I mean, I have talked on my side podcast, Tarvalin or Bust, about the Wheel of Time show, which is also from Amazon Studios. And, uh-huh. like... There's been all of these discussions about how Amazon specifically is looking for the next Game of Thrones. Like Jeff Bezos told the team, like, go find me the next Game of Thrones. So Mm. clearly they're hoping that Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time and whatever else they've got in development are going to be that. But the problem with that is, is that neither the Wheel of Time nor Lord of the Rings are, in fact, anything like Game of Thrones, aside from that they take place in a medieval fantasy world. Like, it's a completely different vibe it's a completely different tone like game of thrones is grimdark lord of the rings has the clearest good bad lines of any story ever like no (laughs) there's no nuance there it's just you either are good or you're bad uh and wheel of time is much closer to the lord of the rings scale on that than than it is to game of thrones so and i i thought on the whole they made some good interesting choices and also had some notable failures with wheel of time but i don't know this really this was just a bummer so here i am i am that fan i am that fan today (laughs) Well, I'm right there with you. I I wish it had been something else. I wish they'd given us more and maybe they're getting some feedback these days. <laughs> like that Forbes post of this piece is maybe it's going true. to go them into making some better decisions down the line. One, One can, can hope. only hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wanted to talk about some more adaptation news as well, uh, especially because I know a lot of our listeners have read this book and I've seen it everywhere and I've heard nothing but rave reviews for it and it's on my TBR, Legendborn. So Deadline reported, Peter White from Deadline reported on Felicia D. Henderson coming on board to adapt Tracy Dion's YA fantasy Legend Born, and this is for Black Bear Television. This is going to be a series, which is exciting. And I know mm. this book is huge, so I I imagine that there's plenty of, you know, content to work with mm. for a TV series. I don't know how many uh, seasons they're planning on or anything like that, but I can see how this would be developed as a series, especially considering the complexity of the story and the world building. So um, Henderson, if the name isn't familiar, has been doing tons of stuff lately. Um, She was the writer for The Punisher and Gossip Girl. 
and also a co-executive producer on both series. She's worked on Fringe, which I feel like is a divisive show among people Mm. I know. But I, you know, when I watched Fringe back in the day, (laughs) I really loved it. It gave me like those X-Files feels I missed, I Mm. guess. So Mm. she's worked with some speculative stuff, which is really cool to hear about. And she's also, she also co-created a BET series called The Quad, So I'm really looking forward to this. It's sort of um, prompting me to pick up this book sooner rather than later. And the story, Legend Born, is about Brie Matthews, who attends the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill after her mother dies in an accident. And then at uh, the college, she discovers this centuries-old supernatural war, and there's this secret society um, that's made up of people who are direct descendants of King Arthur and his knights, which I know is like a, a very much of interest to you, Jen, and <laughs> to me and Indeed. a lot of people. Um And so it sounds like it has been sounding to me like a really great novel. It's gotten lots of great reviews, and I'm really excited for the author to be getting this sort of attention and for this book to be getting this attention because, you know, it stars, it has some black girl magic, which I love to see uh, on the page and also on the screen, so... Definitely look out for that. If you haven't read the book like me, you should definitely pick that up as well. I'll be reading it very soon. Um, it might be my next like nightstand book. So oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because uh this so Legendborn is the first in a planned trilogy. Yeah. And the second book is coming out in November. And I had this moment of like, oh no, we're gonna have had like speaking of Game of Thrones, like issues <laughs> where the can the show is the show gonna be like ahead of the books. But then I yeah. realized that like by the time season one even starts to film, she probably will have already written season three or at the very least knows how her story is going to end. So I think probably given the production time involved, we'll be fine, which is reassuring. But I do love that they're making this into a series because then they can really like dig into that juicy world building and Mm. character development as opposed to just rushing through the plot points in a, in like a movie style. So yeah, I'm excited for this. Yeah, that's a good point, too, about getting the books done. It is it is nice to hear that the second book is coming out in November for that reason and also because I won't have to wait for a next one if I that's finish right. it earlier this year. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then fingers crossed for the third book coming out pretty soon. So congratulations yeah, yeah. to Tracy oh, Dion yes. and everybody who loves this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's see. I'm going to jump to what am I going to jump to? I'm going to jump to this pair of prediction articles yeah. that we have because this is going to be pretty quick. So recently on Book Riot, our uh, contributor, Grace LaPointe, put together this amazing list of 20 of the most accurate sci-fi predictions. And she breaks down, like, who predicted what, what book was it in, like, you know, how did it come true? And it's like, it's just a fascinating deep dive into, you know, 
when authors get it right in speculative fiction. So I'm going to link to that, which you should definitely read through. There's some books on there that I was like, yep, totally. I like have read and acknowledged that one. And then there's some that I had not thought about or heard about or, you know, really interesting stuff in here. So it's a really broad ranging list, too. I feel like there's books on here that I just have not even come across. So I'm excited about that. And then, Sharifa, you found this piece on open culture from their history and technology section where they're talking about a writer who predicted 2022 specifically um, in 1922. The the New York Herald asked, uh, let's see, what is his name? W.L. George to sit down and envision what the world would be like 100 years in the future. And he, like, was pretty close on some i'm not not 100 percent, obviously but pretty close <laughs> yeah it was shocking i um the- i had never even heard of this author so no me neither yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the part that really stuck out to me was this section on like resource depletion and that coal and oil will be like the reserves will be you know fuel shortages will be a problem but like by that time you know he's very optimistic that like oh we'll already be you know getting power from the sun and tides and maybe atomic energy and you're just like oh what's George (laughs) you called it a hundred years ago and yet here we are still not where we need to be this womp, womp. Is, yeah, this is the thing, like, as I was scrolling through our own list of sci-fi predictions and then looking at this piece from Open Culture, a part of me was like, yeah, where are there any, like, utopia, like, utopian stories that predict, <laughs> like, are we, do we have something to look forward to? There was, like... There's some stuff that's like kind of um, like the birth control pill prediction from Mm. um, this author. And so it's not like it's not all bad. I shouldn't say it's not all doom and gloom stuff, but it it just feels very much like the predictions we see so much from science fiction are so bleak. And it's like, (laughs) I I just uh, I, I don't want any more of some of those predictions to come true. And this is probably like spawned by me reading too many like pandemic books. So I'm yeah. I'm in a, a certain headspace right now. Right. Well, I have good news for you and listeners who are feeling the way that you are. I'm going to be talking about a solar punk magazine later. And that has a lot of nice, positive, forward looking stuff in it. So well, bless you, because that is... <laughs> So needed right now. But this was just really, I just thought this whole thing was fascinating. And it kind of made me want to sit down and like predict what the world would look like a century from now and hopefully put a positive spin on it. Um. (laughs) Well, you know where you could publish something like that, don't you? That's true. (laughs) And and then it would be available if the internet still exists in 100 years. It'll be my little... my little legacy for the world. There you my go. Po- my optimistic prediction of what the world. I'm ready for like. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's so interesting, and it's always weird to see those predictions. Um, and I have some good news to talk about too. I mean, I guess it's it's our bittersweet, but I'd say it's good news. So the Guardian, um, the Guardian's Allison Flood 
wrote about this official biography of Terry Pratchett that's going to be published. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me that eventually we would get something like a biography. And they talk about how um, Terry Pratchett was working on a memoir as he was you know, dealing with the challenges of Alzheimer's and before he died in 2015. So, of course, the memoir didn't get completed, but uh, the memoir ended up being passed to Rob Wilkins, who is uh, or was Terry Pratchett's former assistant and also his friend. And so Rob Wilkins is now going to be writing this official biography, which was you know, approved and given the blessing by Terry Pratchett's estate. And it sounds like it's going to have pieces of Terry Pratchett's memoir, what he was working on, um, fragments, I guess is how they describe it, and Mm. also Wilkins' own writing about Terry Pratchett, like from the age of six, when I guess this is is like, wow, what kind of a teacher did Terry Pratchett have? This teacher head teacher told him at six years old that he would never amount to anything. (laughs) And then it goes on to talk about the rest of his very successful, very prolific life. So I just thought that this was a delightful story. I I think I'm going to have to. I'm not a big biography reader. Like I read a lot of memoir, but I don't read a lot of biography. But I think this one... This might um, encourage me to finally pick up a biography. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I like Terry Pratchett's stuff that I've read, which yeah. I've read like two or three of Discworld and then Good Omens. So, I, you know, I'm not as diehard of a fan as as perhaps you and some other folks are. <laughs> but I have enjoyed what I've read. I agree with you, though. I don't read a lot of biography. I like memoir much better. So the thing that is tempting about this is that there would be bits of memoir in there, which I would expect to be very interesting and entertaining given, you know, Pratchett. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Rob Wilkins is a great writer and a biographer. It's just, like you said, not something that I read very often. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, I, I, it could happen. I could read it. It's not <laughs> going to be at the top of my list, though, I, I will say. not Not for any, like... Other reason than that there's a lot of books to read out there. That is absolutely understandable. (laughs) I think you have to be pretty, pretty, not necessarily obsessed, but for me with biographies, I have to be pretty obsessed in order to not only pick it up, but actually take it off my shelf and read it, which is a whole nother story. Uh, Yes. So I understand that. Yeah, I think the only biography I've read, and it was only sort of a biography, was of Octavia Butler. Um, the title escapes me now, but I'll put it in the show notes. And it was great because it included, like, you know, pictures of her, like, notes, handwritten notes and, like, library uh. card and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it had a lot of... Uh, miscellany and uh lynn george i believe was the writer did an amazing job on like putting all these pieces together but it was a very unconventional biography is what i guess i'm saying so those are the best kinds of biographies i know right (laughs) but anyway i'm sure this will be great for people who are excited about it which is a legit thing to be yeah and if you are excited about uh this biography out there it's going to be published in september so not too far from now 
That's nice. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Let's hear from another sponsor, and then let's talk about sci-fi fantasy magazines. Yeah. So our next sponsor is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher from Tor Books. Mara escaped the traditional fate of princesses to be married away for the sake of an uncaring throne. Her sister wasn't so fortunate. And after years of silence, Mara is done watching her suffer at the hands of a powerful and abusive prince. Seeking help for her rescue mission, Mara is offered the tools she needs, but only if she can complete three seemingly impossible tasks. Build a dog of bones, sew a cloak of nettles, and capture moonlight in a jar. But as is the way in Tales of Princes and Witches, doing the impossible is only the beginning. So as you can probably tell from that synopsis, this is the kind of subversive fairy tale where the princess kills the prince instead of marrying the prince, but he kind of deserves it. So here we are. Uh, The cast of characters includes a princess, a disgraced ex-knight, a reluctant fairy godmother, an enigmatic grave witch, and her foul familiar, which is also known as a demon chicken. Ha ha, puns are good. We like puns. Also, they've done a number on the production of this book. It's got gold foil stamp on the casing. There's custom endpapers illustrated by the author. They have clearly gone all out here. Um, and T. Kingfisher, you probably heard the name, uh, is a Hugo Nebula and Locus award-winning author. So that is all a lot of very interesting words put together. <laughs> I think this is like catnip for Sharifa yes. and myself and other people out here. <laughs> so again, that's Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher from Tor books. I love T. Kingfisher. I still haven't read any. I need to get on the train. Yeah, if you want, I I feel like this is probably going to be one of those books that has a lot of laughs because that's what I always expect now. And it's it's super, it's always super fun. I've been nervous about like the horror content, right? Because I think the books trend in that direction. So that's the only, but this sounds, this sounds doable to me. So... Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll I'm see. sure we're going to read it. <laughs> one of us is. I'm sh- one of us will read it. <laughs> well, I get to kick us off with our magazine talk by, I got to take, it's my turn to rave <laughs> about Faya. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I love this magazine. You love this magazine. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those moments where I did get to learn a lot about it because I sort of knew about Faya magazine like from its original um, creation like I knew basics from when it first came out but I hadn't really dived too much into what it is so Faya is a quarterly speculative fiction magazine it features stories by and about black people of the African diaspora and publisher the publisher is a former book riot contributor which Mm -hmm. is always so lovely to see troy l wiggins and also a former contributor justina ireland whose name you all might know was the executive editor of the magazine from 2016 to 2018 and funded the magazine's start so that's initially why i heard about it because everybody of course at book riot was talking about this magazine And really excited for both Troy and Justina and the work that was going to come out of this magazine. Because it was very much needed when it came out there. You know, there wasn't as much uh, inclusive, speculative magazines out there. There were definitely not 
a lot of magazines that featured specifically uh, stories by black people. So I was really excited when this came out and when they started developing the magazine. And also one of my favorite authors um, and a favorite author of a lot of listeners, P. Jelly Clark, is a co-founder with Wiggins. So that's super cool. I think I didn't know that part of it. Mm, yeah. yeah, so I was really, that that was just really cool to me. Um, and their team is actually comprised entirely of Black speculative fiction writers. And uh, the stories represent a bunch of Black identities, LGBTQ distinctions, and intersections with illness and disability. And the stories do reflect those experiences. So you're going to get a lot of really great inclusive short stories from a lot of different types of people. And I don't think I've come across a story in Faya that I didn't like. So <laughs> for me, they have a really strong track record. Um, and one of the interesting things I learned about the background of Faya is that you know, in their about story, they invoke the fire one issue magazine devoted to young Negro artists, which was created in 1926 by Langston Hughes or Neil Hurston, Wallace Thurman, and a lot of other black authors of the time. So they created this magazine called Fire, and only one issue was ever made. I believe it's actually. Yeah, it's in the public domain, so you can actually read it. I believe they have a link to the original magazine on in their About section. So you should definitely check that out because if you want to get some, you know, some sense of like where their thinking is coming from and what got them uh, brewing on this project, Fire is a great place to start and see how Black literature was really focused on by Black authors, how, you know, Black authors have historically come together to try to promote the work of young and upcoming Black creatives and artists and writers. And I just thought that that was really inspiring, that part of the history. So if you yeah. want to get into the actual stories of Fire, they publish horror, uh, SFF, and a bunch of relevant subgenres, so lots of different types of speculative fiction. They are also the 2021 Hugo Award winner for Semi-Pro Magazine, which we were celebrating just a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And they currently have 21 issues out and also some special issues. Plus, if you want to get a whole bunch of issues, you can buy a bundle of annual issues. Uh, if you want to support the magazine, you can donate to FIA. They've got merch. They've got, like, the whole shebang. And I just picked up their latest issue, which includes a poem by a familiar name, C.L. Polk. And... Mm. I also wanted to highlight the lead story, which I really loved because I was just in the mood for something lighthearted and fun. And From Earth to Io with Love gave that to me. It's by Adelahin Ijasan. And it was both funny and frightening, I, I guess. <laughs> it was this story about a geophysicist interests and his harrowing experience using a popular 
and well-reviewed teleportation device for a work trip. Uh, it You have to read that story. If you pick up the most recent issue, it opens the issue, actually. So all you have to do is flip to the first page. And it's just really delightful and unexpected. And there's also a story by Wendy Shia called The Red Summer, which is about a young man shifting perspective on casting aside nonviolent resistance to white supremacy after ex- experiencing some disturbing visions. That was really interesting. And um, as mentioned also with C.L. Polk, you, you get poetry. So Polk wrote poetry mm-hmm. in this particular issue. There's also nonfiction in the issues. There's this wonderful essay uh, by playwright, filmmaker, and author Ladarian Williams in the recent issue. It's entitled When Black Boys Find Magic. It was just very, like, it was very inspiring, very heartwarming and uplifting. Mm. Um, So definitely don't just uh, skip on the nonfiction stuff because there's some really great, insightful, and powerful pieces you can find in FIA Magazine's issues. Um, And I just also wanted to give a side note, because this is a thing that, like, especially as somebody who, who reads a lot of ebooks and, you know, e-everything lately, Mm -hmm. the experience of reading their magazine on an e-reader is just very pleasant and seamless. Mm. They give it the sense of like actually flipping pages. And I know that's like just a small technical detail, but you know, it makes a difference to me. So I really love this magazine and I think you should definitely check it out if you haven't already. Um, And starting with the most recent issue is a great place, but you can start anywhere really. Yeah. Yeah, I will co-sign just everything <laughs> that you just said. And I'm a, I'm a subscriber to Faya. I love seeing it come into my inbox and my my reader. Uh so yeah, I you know, uh, I'm going to talk about two magazines, but before I actually talk about either of them, I wanted to point out something to highlight something Sharifa said, which is that the cool thing about these magazines is that they are a mix of short fiction, essays, poetry, mm-hmm. etc. Like, I really think that when I think about why you should pick up an SFF magazine if you haven't before, that's really interesting because you can get the short fiction a lot of different ways now. Like, it's easier and easier to get a hold of novellas and short stories, and you can read a lot of these online, you know, for free without having to subscribe in some cases. Um, but I, what I think is so cool about the way that these magazines are curated is that you do get something from these subgenres that aren't otherwise necessarily coming to you like you know what I mean they're not like presented to you that often and so particularly SFF poetry so it's a really cool thing to be able to get all of those things in like one very nice curated thoughtful excellent package so I I think that is my argument for why you should be subscribing to an SFF magazine if that's something you're interested in like you're going to get a whole range of reading material that is not just short fiction and it's going to give you like lots of new writers and to follow but also thoughts and like you know things to think about 
So yeah, I love that. That's really good yeah. perspective <laughs> on actually why we are talking about this in the right, first like, place. <laughs> why magazines? And they're also really important for the industry as a whole. I mean, this is the time honored point of literary magazines in particular is to give new voices somewhere to showcase their work, to get paid, hopefully to the, come to the notice of editors and agents. Like this mm-hmm. is often a lot of people's first introduction to publishing is getting a short story published in one of these magazines. So, you know, they they serve that very important function as well. But like as a reader, this is what I'm saying to you is that, you know, you're going to get so much out of it that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise find any other way. So, okay, so my first pitch for you is for Uncanny Magazine. Um, I am also a supporter of them and they call their supporters space unicorns. I have a badge (laughs) and everything. cracks me up every time and I think the latest issue issue 44 which is their first issue of 2022 is a great example of this breadth of thought and what they present to you there's a great opening essay from Meg Ellison, who wrote uh, the book of the unnamed midwife, which some of you might have read. Mm-hmm. Um, the essay is called The One Body Problem. And in it, she's talking about how the body, literally the body, like your meat sack. She actually uses that, <laughs> the word meat a lot. And it's like a really discomforting <laughs> word. Um, but she's talking about like, how do people write about the body and what it means to her when somebody doesn't inhabit the body on the page. And like, it's so thoughtful and interesting. Um, And she is, you know, a guest editor. And so that's part of why she's, you know, doing this essay. But it's just so it was such a fascinating thing that I hadn't really ever seen articulated before about like, yeah, why is it important to like, give people the feeling of being in a body in fiction. And there's so many reasons that she articulates incredibly well. You'll have to read it to find. I'm not going to tell you what they yeah. are. Um, and then, obviously, there are a bunch of great stories. I was skipping around, and I was really caught by Lily the Immortal by Kylie Lee Baker, which is a really sort of heart-wrenching story about loss. The main character was the girlfriend of, like, a virtual, you know, a YouTube star, influencer, basically, who has died young. And now her likeness and words. Sharifa, this reminded me of that story we talked about before about the computer-generated influencers that are starting to exist. They basically do that with this young woman and, like, turn her into a hologram you can talk to at the mall and, like, things go from there. And it's so uncomfortable and so good (laughs) on both the feelings of, like, loss and when somebody you love is a public figure, like, the strange disconnect between who they were to the world and who they were to you. And then also, yeah, the ramifications of like using someone's image after they've gone and what is legit and what is not legit. It's really well done. There's some great poetry in here. Um, But in particular, there was some really interesting nonfiction. There's an amazing piece called Even After Death, an essay in questions by Shingai and Jerry Kagunda, which is like all about the idea of death and like loss and grief and it references a bunch of works that we are obviously big fans of um the deep by uh river solomon david diggs william hudson and jonathan snipes is in here um there's quotes from ekweke amezi's work there's a bunch of uh, just amazing like the way that this writer is putting together all of these different ways of dealing with 
you know, trauma and grief and death uh, over generations is really is really intense and very good. Um, and then there's this piece called Gone with the Clones about how, like, con- white supremacy shows up in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, which I had never huh. thought about before. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So you're getting a huge, like I said, it's a huge range of, like, thought and fiction and poetry and, you know, ideas uh, that then are going to shape how you move through the world and read other things, which is all you can ask for, right, of of work, is that it, it helps to inform your mind. So, And Uncanny Magazine, I should say, it's uh, I didn't tell you much about it. It is co-edited and co-published by... Well, where did their names go? Here they are. Lynn M. Thomas and Michael Damian Thomas. Um, They have a commitment to diversity um, and bringing writers from every background and uh, fostering a diverse sci-fi fantasy culture. Um, They also believe that, you know, genre stories should make you feel, which is a mission statement that I personally love. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the thinkiness. It's about the feelings, too. You want both of those things. Um, And they've won a bunch of awards as well, and a lot of the fiction that's been published in Uncanny has won awards. So you can definitely check them out. We've got a link to their site in the show notes. That's so I feel like if I just keep reading these magazines and all of their uh, perspectives and essays, I'm just going to level up by like a hundred as an sff (laughs) reader and fan like as i listen to you talk about it i'm like yeah yeah i am going to become an (laughs) academic by just picking up a bunch of magazines (laughs) i mean i do think it is so cool to get to be part of those conversations and this is a way to do that right because otherwise it's like you're just kind of poking around the internet to see who's saying something interesting and there are a lot of great sites out there doing interesting work around this hopefully including book riot but like to have them all packaged like this so nicely and thoughtfully again i'm like keep coming back to this like it's a beautiful package of things it is Yes. Here's to curation. We yes. need it yes. with that big, wide world of Indeed. everything on the web. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my next magazine is, I believe, I pr- I think I have talked about Strange Horizons before, um, at least a story or two from Strange Horizons, because it's sort of like, it immediately came to me as one of the SFF magazines I could talk about, I think because I just like tend to go to it for like basically any time I just want a short story. They have so many that are just free online Mm. in their archive. So it's a great resource. Like if you're, you know, low on funds, but you want to do some SFF reading and you love short stories, this is a great place for it. You have such a, a wealth of short stories, and more. So this is a weekly magazine, so it publishes really often. Uh, It's of and about speculative fiction, of course. I didn't realize there are a bunch of older SFF magazines out there. Some of them have kind of dwindled away Mm. over time. And uh, so I never know. I only know, get a sense of like how old a magazine is, unfortunately, Sometimes by how inclusive it is and how much Mm. they make inclusivity and diversity like a big part of their mission. Mm -hmm. 
Strange Horizons is one of those magazines. It was founded in 2000, which I cannot believe was 22 years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that was like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is when I graduated from high school. So I shouldn't <laughs> be so surprised. But yeah, they've been around for a minute. And they're obviously not losing steam, which I love to see because they've published some really great works by... Uh, debut writers, newer writers, established writers, and I've been introduced to some great writers through Strange Horizons. And again, this is a magazine that po uh, publishes all sorts of stuff. So they also have poetries and reviews and interviews, as well as roundtable discussions and art. Uh, and right now, they actually also have, if you're you're interested in like the thoughts of critics um, and um, reading authors in conversation or listening to authors in conversation. They have this author and the critic series going on right now, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's an author and a critic in conversation, and it's mm. all published as a piece. And it's for this special issue they're working on right now on SFF reviews and criticism, which I admit I do not like. I do not read a lot of SFF reviews. I do not get too much into the criticism mm -hmm. parts of it. Usually because I don't want to spoil things for myself yeah. or ruin my own, like, you know, have some bias based on what I see from what the critics mm. are saying, uh, just because I talk about SFF a lot. But I thought that was really interesting that they're doing a whole special issue on it. And, you know, one of their goals is specifically, they state, it, they strive to publish global inclusive literature, which is why I, I gravitated toward their magazine in the first place. And yeah, you can read so many of their stories online in their archive. They also have special issues you can read online. Uh, including a trans non-binary uh, non special. And mm -hmm. that features Yoon-ha Lee and mm. more great writers. There's also a Southeastern USA special, which I thought was super interesting since I've never Ooh. seen like that grouping generally before. No. But, yeah. And that one features none other than Troy L. Wiggins. So that's really <laughs> cool. <laughs> There's an intersection there. Yeah. Um, they also have some annual specials featuring writers uh, with familiar names like Kelly Link, Roshni Chokshi, Nisi mm. Shawl, and Anne Leckie. Lots of great people. And I was reading, I was perusing the magazine for stuff to talk about, of course, and I came across this recently published poem about a cyborg meet-cute. It was super short, so oh. <laughs> I can't talk too much about it, but it was, like, very cute and funny and weird. <laughs> but I, I just loved, like, that little blip of entertainment. Uh, I thought it was well written. There's also, this is of interest to you probably, a Wheel of Time roundtable discussion that they published. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And then there's also an essay on gender, personhood, and violence in trans speculative fiction, which is super fascinating. You just have to read it. Um, I also just read a horror short story. I do not recommend you read this, Jen. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I, Thanks. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, but it's by Sydney-based writer Karina Ko, and it's called Blood We Cannot Wash Away. It was published in one of the December issues, and it was just this story that was 
sad and creepy with uh, a touch of fairy tale about it. The part that I think is like maybe of note for people who do not like body horror is that it has body horror. So mm. there's that. But it was this mother-daughter story where illness and hunger play a big part in in the actual telling of the tale. And I really enjoyed it. It made me feel like sad and like I should call my mom. <laughs> it was yeah. one of those stories. It just really touched me in a strange way, especially considering what the story was about. Um, and if you read it, maybe you'll understand why I'm feeling a little bit weird about getting all emotional. But uh, Strange Horizons... Speaking of this story and others specifically, it they also do a really good job of including content warnings with stories. Mm. This one had a ton of them, so that's why I mentioned it and noticed it. Uh, they have an expandable content warnings thing at the top, so uh, that's where it is if you're looking for it. And the magazine itself is a nonprofit corporation, so their staff is volunteer which is really wow. interesting. That's a lot of work to put into yeah. a thing. So, and they have a limited budget. So their resources, uh, which they get from grants and direct donations are devoted to professionally compensating writers, which is, you know, really important to writers, especially since uh, professional compensation can, you know, maybe get them into some mm -hmm. important writing organizations that help them. Yeah make connections and grow as writers. So that's a big part of, it's an important part of publishing short fiction in magazines for a lot of writers. And if you do want to donate, if you love this magazine, they have 501c3 tax exempt status. So if you make a donation, it's tax, tax deductible in the United States. And one other thing that I did not know about uh, Strange Horizons is that they have an offshoot called Samovar, which is this triannual magazine of and about translated speculative fiction. So, ho oh, ho! Oh, I didn't yeah. know that either, but I'm gonna click on that right now. <laughs> I was like, "What's this?" So they, this is their work to, you know, put not only the writers of works in. Um, other languages. So they publish the work in its original language as well as in translation. And they're also highlighting up-and-coming translators, which is super just wonderful. There are not a lot of spaces for that. So I mm -mm. appreciate them. Yeah, so you should definitely check out Strange Horizons. That is an A++ discovery, Sharifa. I'm yeah, so excited about that. I could not believe that. it. I was so, I could not wait to talk about that. <laughs> yes, yes. Bring me that, you know, international and translated SFF is one of my areas that I really want to read more widely in. So that's ah. ideal. Ideal. Awesome. All right. So I'm I'm going to wrap us up with, with, as promised, a solar punk magazine that is literally called Solar Punk Magazine. <laughs> and it's brand new, y'all. They just, just, just put out issue one. So this is like ground floor. And I will say that like we, I think, you know, Sharif and I both mentioned like how like beautiful, you know, these magazines are and how well mm. like organized and everything. This is a little scrappier because it's issue one. Like they just started. So I think they're still finding their, their sort of... uh 
presentation vibe, I want to say, but it's I really am excited about it because they have a clear commitment to diversity baked into the letter from the editors in the first issue, um, which I do think is so important to acknowledge with solar punk, like the whole sort of vibe of solar if you've forgotten side note if you've forgotten what solar (laughs) punk is let me rewind for a second solar punk is the idea of finding hopeful futures that are very specifically concerned with sustainability so like how can humans sustainably interact with both technology and nature and be like you know and 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 the forces of pollution and climate change and all of those things impact marginalized populations first. Mm. So any solar punk, I think, that is worth its salt needs to take that into account. And these uh, editors clearly agree. Um, the co-editors are, where did their names go? Brianna Castagnozzi and Justine Norton Kurtzen. And you can tell that commitment in the lineup of this uh, first issue. They've got, you know, author bios and pictures that really clearly show that they are going after an inclusive range of contributors and stories and experiences. They've got poetry. They've got nonfiction. Like, they've got all the things. They've got art. They've got all the things that I want from a literary magazine. Uh, There is this really fun story I want to shout out because it was so not what I was expecting called Doomsday Derby by Micah <laughs> Epstein that is like takes place in like a future where there's like roving like roller derby gangs oh, taking wow. over abandoned parking garages and like doing like you know DIY like reclamation of like land for veg- vegetation and they're throwing what? like a party to save a space it's so much fun <laughs> it's that. so much fun yeah it was really delightful and like there was a beautiful story um about two scientists working on uh trying to get a working model of a solar tree um that was by Coral Alejandra Moore called Flora 2.0 that I also uh, read and loved. Um, There's a beautiful poem in here called Harmonious Light from Therese Mason Pierre. Like there's just so I just really dug it. Um, I haven't dived into the nonfiction section of this yet, but I am very impressed with this first with this first issue, I love that their tagline is "Demand Utopia." Like that's like I'm here for that. Nice. Like, that's that's great, uh, and I'm excited to see what they do. Like it's cool to see somebody new coming in, also specifically for solar punk, because we get questions. You know, once you've like read a solar punk book, you're like, oh, I want more of this, but there's just not that much in the U.S. market in particular. Mm -hmm. So I think this is serving an audience that is actively looking for new solar punk stories and authors to get into. And and I think this is a great way for them to be serving that need. The first issue is six bucks, which I think is a super reasonable amount of money to pay to help get a literary magazine up and running, especially when they are filling a niche that needs filling and have this kind of commitment. So I'm really hopeful about this one, appropriately enough for a solo punk magazine. <laughs> nice. um, and I I hope you all will check it out. Uh, so yeah, I, there's going to be a link in the show notes, but it's literally Solar Punk Magazine. Aw, <laughs> baby SFF Magazine. I, I love know, that. it's brand spanking new. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. That's wonderful. All right. Well, this has been a delightful 
topic. I agree. I agree. This is fantastic. We've learned a lot and we're sorry, not sorry if you end up subscribing to a thousand magazines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, they just like pile up. It's like, uh, I mean, New Yorkers always love to talk about their New Yorker subscription. Oh, yeah. I can say this because I lived in New York and like how like, oh, they're like the issues just pile up. But and there's something really sort of exciting about having this like digital pile of literary uh, magazines just sitting there waiting for me when I have my moment. I am not as good at keeping up with them as I would like to be. But I think this episode is going to help remind me to like work them into my reading flow more consistently. Same, same. <laughs> all right well with that uh thank you all so much for listening thank you also to our new sound editor caitlin brame for making us sound great each and every episode uh if you would like more recommendations for speculative fiction among other things you can check out bookriot.com you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen you can email us sff yeah at bookriot.com you can send in theme ideas like this you can send in pictures of your pets we love that yes um if you subscribe to any sff magazines that we haven't talked about we'd love to hear about them so we can share them with other folks uh or if you end up subscribing because of this episode tell us about how that went for you <laughs> you can also review us on apple Podcasts, spotify podchaser lots of places now um which does help other sci-fi fantasy fans to find the show so please do that and in between shows, you can find us online. Sharifa, where are you? I'm on Instagram at Sina Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>